1: While it may not quite have the same juice it's had in recent years, Florida and Kentucky will lock horns this weekend for the first of two meetings this season. But Kentucky being Kentucky, it presents another significant opportunity for this Gator squad to show their teeth on the national stage. On today's show, we'll discuss the latest results for Mike White's team and some football tidbits with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Then, we'll chat with sophomore swingman DeAndre Bauer about basketball, chess and the bird box challenge. But first, Hoops continued to ride the roller coaster this week with a slow start that doomed them at TCU, followed by a rebound home win versus Ole Miss. To open our roundtable with Chris and Scott, we asked Chris for his take on this week's action.
2: Well, what it means for the rest of the season, I guess, is not something you can brushstroke and just make any assumptions about. I mean, there's a lot of games to be played and games against really good teams, uh, down the pike. But, um, they went into, uh, Wednesday night's game against Ole Miss, 0 and 6 against teams in the NET, the new net uh, metric that the NSA tournament selection committee is going to use to seed the field in March. Six cracks at some really good teams and they hadn't won any of them. In seven of their eight losses heading into that, they they'd been within a possession uh, inside two minutes and hadn't been and hadn't made the play to win the game. So a lot of this was maybe some kind of a mental blockade for them that they had to they had to crawl over. And obviously it didn't look very good when Brian Tyrese sinks two free throws with 8.8 seconds left and a three point lead. Now you know you gotta go for a three pointer. I mean I I'm thinking the Ole Miss coach is probably gonna foul you know sell for two free throws from florida What have set it up but uh, lo and behold they they let florida take the shot and cave Allen allen makes a big shot of his career um one the gators absolutely had to have rise up with a six seven guy in your face and knock the bottom out of the basket i mean it was a, it was a phenomenal moment and whether it means more now, again you have to you have to win in overtime also and florida made the shots in overtime and he had a couple of bad plays uh, late in that overtime and yet still withstood, um, made free throws. Give Kayvon Allen credit because, uh, obviously, besides that shot, 11 of his 20 points were in the last four minutes of regulation and in overtime. He attacked the basket. He took ownership. Uh, one of the bigger plays of the game was um, Florida missed a shot in, in overtime late. Inside uh, 40 seconds, I think, Kavaris Hayes and Jalen Hudson go to fight for the ball. Uh, against some Ole Miss defenders. The ball's heading out of bounds. Kayvon Allen's kind of on his knees having fallen down. He dives toward the out-of-bounds and tips the ball back into Hayes, who shovels the ball to Nemhart who gets fouled and hits two big free throws to stretch the lead back to five. Something's gotten into the kid. Uh, I asked him last week if it was because he had maybe a sense of his collegiate mortality in that you know, he knows that things are about to end. The guy's had quite a career. He's approaching 1,600 points now. He's going to be in the top 10 all-time scores before it's all over. He said that wasn't the case, but who knows what goes on in his head. He doesn't tell you what he really thinks. He's a quiet, <laughs> shy guy, but he's playing at a different level now. His nine straight double-figure scoring games is a career high. His aggression is different. He took 19 shots last night. I think he only made six. They, the Florida doesn't care about that. The coaches want him to shoot that many times in a game. So, uh, what they achieved last night was a win over a good team. They'll have more chances at that, but they they needed that win last night uh, relative to their confidence uh, as some things are starting to change about this team as far as rotation, as far as minutes, um, who's on the court, crunch time, and what have
1: you. In terms of that rotation, too, I mean, looking more and more at this, especially when you take out the box score in the aftermath. And you really say, OK, how, is, how are the minutes being distributed? I mean, it seems like it's really the freshman plus Kayvon Allen. I mean, to a large extent, this is becoming their team, I think, a lot sooner than, than anybody really expected.
2: It's been four games now since the, uh, uh, the three freshmen have been in the starting lineup. Keontae Johnson put in the starting lineup for the first time in Georgia a couple weeks ago. And, and Florida's won all three of the SEC games that those three have started together. People wondered for half the season why Keontae wasn't playing more. Best athlete on the team and what have you. But the coaches have been on him. I mean, you, get, you go to practice and he tends to coast sometimes. And when you coast in practice, you tend to coast in games every now and then. It, and it can be costly. And it was a point of emphasis with him. And like anybody else, especially with freshmen, uh, you figure some things out along the way. Now, Keontae lives with Andrew and Noah. Probably at times just looking across his suite while they're watching uh, NBA or playing Fortnite or something. So why are these guys playing more than I am? Maybe he's gotten a uh, an epiphany of some kind because over the last uh, four games since he's been in the starting lineup, he's at eight and a half points a game, seven and a half rebounds a game. His minutes are up to twenty, to nearly 29. Career high 15 points against Ole Miss Wednesday. Grabbed uh, six rebounds a dunk that was a highlight reel kind of thing on a, on an inbounds play. He fouled out and when he when he wasn't on a court, the Gators were a different team. So now you're talking about Noah Locke, talking about Andrew Nemar who's been in the starting lineup since started. I mentioned Locke. He's been uh, in the starting lineup since the fourth game of the season. And now Keontae Johnson. Uh obviously they represent the future of Florida, but they obviously also right now represent uh sixty percent of the present of their starting lineup. I can't believe we've gone this long, or I've gone this long without talking about Noah Locke because uh, this guy Adam is just a flat-out cold-blooded three-point assassin. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing phases him. He's got 57 threes now as a freshman. He's shooting 43% from out there. I believe that's now fifth most high freshman or sixth most uh, in Florida history. Wow. He's got a lot of games left too. He 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 will break Anthony Roberson's record. He also plays, and don't, people don't talk about this. He plays the top of their uh, one, two, two press. And that's an exhausting kind of thing. That's usually reserved for, uh, for the, fo- for the person who plays the four position, a longer kind of guy. But they like how Noah will run around a little bit. He's not a great athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but he gives it everything he has. And when he goes to the bench, he's exhausted. But I tell you what, it, to play 42 minutes and to rise up and hit some of the big threes he does late in games, credit to that kid. And, uh, uh, he's only going to get better two, huge free throws at the end of the game to ice it to make it a four uh, or a two possession game against Ole Miss so I'll say it again that's the future but right now those that triumvirate is uh is, is working with the mix-in in and the starting lineup with the two seniors and Kayvon who seems to be maturing if that's possible uh, on the back end of your senior year and Khabarious Hayes who is the king of uh, of this team uh, relative to giving effort every time on, on the floor
1: So that leads us into this weekend, Florida and Kentucky. It's always a huge matchup. And even if Tennessee is maybe the standard bearer of the league this year, for most people, you're always stacking yourself against Kentucky and the teams that John Calipari has built there. So, Chris, what does this Kentucky team look like as far as a matchup for Florida? And how important is this game in terms of, again, this final push to try and show people that this is not an NIT team, this is an NCAA team?
2: Well, it's a bad matchup, frankly. Uh, Kentucky's long. They rebound the ball very, very well. They got size that Florida will have difficulty matching up at. They're on fire as a team. I believe they won eight straight now. They are up on Vanderbilt by 35 at halftime, mm. uh, a week after uh, Vanderbilt should have probably beat Tennessee. But uh, more than anything else, Adam, I mean, uh, last night they, the Gators went into that game knowing they had to win because Mike White and the coaching staff were talking about postseason now. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? do you want to just you want to have just a winning record? Do you, what tournament do you want to play in? Well, uh, they had some opportunities up to this point to win some games against some good teams and didn't do it. Uh, so they, they made their proverbial bed. Now, Ole Miss represented uh, a team that is currently ranked in the top 50 of that uh, net system that I mentioned earlier. Florida still has six more games against teams that are currently in that top 50. They get Tennessee on the road next week. Good luck. (laughs) They get Kentucky this week twice, okay, this week and at the end of the season. They got seven more, excuse excuse me. They got LSU twice. They're 16th right now in that net. They get Auburn next week on the road. They're 25th. And they get Alabama on the road. They're 43rd. Butler this morning, they were at fifty one. Now, if they were to move back in, that's another win, but it's also another loss because they split two games with them this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how their profile will be when it goes to the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee in March. But you can't you can't say they won't have opportunities down the line, but opportunities are only uh that what you make of them. And so you got to win some games and that will mean Florida's going to have to win some games they won't be expected to win. You know, old play beating Ole Miss at home isn't going to be like beating Kentucky at home or going to Tennessee or Auburn or LSU or Alabama. But, uh, uh, you know, you can only play who's in front of you, and Florida will have a bunch of good opportunities to get some people's attention in front of them as, uh, the season progresses.
1: Moving on to some football news, which again, it may be. February now, but there's always football news. And, Scott, the, uh, the the coaching carousel just keeps turning. And Dan Mullen pulled another one off that carousel this past week and made another splash. Talk about the hiring of David Turner and what he's going to bring to this group of coaches.
3: Yeah, you know, following South's Terry's departure, uh, Mullen didn't take too long to uh, bring in a very familiar face. Uh, you mentioned his name, David Turner. Uh, this is going to be their third time working together. The first two times were obviously at Mississippi State. Uh, when Dan Mullen took over uh, the Bulldogs in 2009, David Turner was already there for a couple seasons on Sylvester Krumm's staff. And uh, hmm. Anyway, he stayed for that first season. Then he went to join his best friend, Joker Phillips, up at Kentucky. After Phillips got fired uh, after three years, he lands back on the uh, Mullen staff of Mississippi State and stayed three years there, uh, as defensive line coach. And then the Cincinnati's had stops at Texas A&M for uh, Kevin Sumlin. And last year was at University of Texas San Antonio, kind of a transition year for him. So, uh, I don't think Mullen needed a lot of time to kind of see if he'd be interested and in, uh, and, you know, get him back in the FCC. One thing really interesting about his career, guys, is Florida the 6th SEC school. Hmm. So he's, he's making the tour, man. He's been in Alabama, Vanderbilt, <laughs> Kentucky twice, Mississippi twice, and uh, Florida now, and obviously Texas A&M. So he knows the league well. Coach Miles Garrett uh, out at Texas AM, which is, you know, obviously has worked with high end talent and uh, brings a lot of experience and the familiarity that Dan Mullen, you know, when he first got here hired his uh, inaugural staff. A lot of these guys uh, had a history with Mullen, and uh, Turner's no different, and he got to work pretty fast. Tim and Mullen's already been out on the road together recruiting. We'll see how it turns out. But uh, just a, a veteran coach who uh, first chance to coach at Florida. He's 1-11 in, in his career against the Gators, so maybe he'll have some better luck with the Gators.
1: Wow. Well, and, and you mentioned all those SEC stops, and one of the things I found fascinating after he was hired is that when you took kind of the, the big picture look at the staff, I believe it's now over 100 years of SEC coaching experience. Is that correct?
3: That is correct. I mean, these guys have been around the block. They know the league. Uh, You know, a lot of these guys, whether it's Mullen and John Hevesy and Billy Gonzalez, you know, before they went to Mississippi State, they obviously worked here in Florida. Ty Granson's been at Georgia. Um, Yeah, so a a lot of experience and it's got some youth in it, like a guy like Christian Robinson, who's a former Georgia linebacker, now coaches linebackers here. I think it's well balanced. He, he I think he relates well to the, to the players, a good recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got guys like David Turner, who's 33 years of coaching experience. So, uh, he's, he's kind of a teacher out of the mold of South Sincerity, but I think maybe has a longer history recruiting in the league knows the league, knows the hotbed areas, has a relationship with the high school coaches. And and when you're trying to, uh, you know, go against the master right now, Nick Saban, uh, Dan Mullen has added another guy with the SEC knowledge and, you know, that can only help.
1: In terms of uh, other things going on with the program, from a player standpoint, I want to first talk about someone who's leaving before we talk about the people that are coming in. But we saw this week that TJ McCoy announced he was transferring and a really, really good guy. I remember interviewing him last year on the show, a, a compelling personal story in terms of his family and, and what brought him to Florida. Uh, Scott, was this a, a surprise that, that he decided to leave and, and what does it mean for the offensive line?
3: I don't think he was really surprised at him. You know, DJ had, he was a good story, especially when he got into the starting lineup. A lot of people didn't see that in 2016. A lot of people didn't see that coming. He added a little toughness, a little, uh, you know, a little attitude up there. In 17, he started nine games, then got hurt and he was never able to regain his job once Mullen and, and Hevesy came in. And he set, you know, lost his job to Nick Buchanan, who did a really nice job last year as a starting center. Brought more size to the position. Uh, TJ, you know, he's a little short for an SEC caliber offensive lineman. TJ came here with some history with the Gators, obviously with his father having played here in the early 90s. And you know, one of the my favorite stories I've written over the last couple of years was when Tony McCoy came back to a in 2016 to to be honored with the 91 SEC championship team. Uh, TJ, that's when he surprisingly got into lineup because of some injuries. So Tony and his family were able to see that happen in person, and then they all went out and celebrated afterward. And I remember catching up with Tony and TJ for a story. And uh, so you know, you just wish him luck. Hope that it works out for him in his final year of eligibility. And uh it's the way the game goes you know a new coach comes in maybe sees the position differently uh new Buchanan got his opportunity and obviously took the took made the most of it and that left TJ McCoy uh on the outside looking in and and uh we could see more more of these maybe uh, before next season uh i think as the summer progresses and the uh, but for TJ it's it's happened now In terms of
1: uh, the new guys coming in, Scott, I know you spent a lot of time in the last week talking to a lot of these early enrollees, and uh, I know everyone's got a story, and we'll hear those in due time, but I'm curious which ones stood out to you, and and who made a particular impact on you?
3: Well, a couple of the guys. One kid that I think is going to be a good player is linebacker uh, Mahamud Diabate. He's from Auburn. Just a real unique personality uh, when you talk to him. He's only 18, but he seems a lot older, very mature, and you can just look at him physically. He, he certainly passes the eye test for an incoming freshman. Uh, but in talking to him, he's just very strong in his uh, outlook, his beliefs, and he, he knows this is a great opportunity. He came down to Florida, he said, because he wanted to get out of Alabama and, and experience something different. He wanted to come to a campus that's very diverse. and He has a lot of interest. Outside of uh, athletics, he wants to be a petroleum engineer. Hmm. His father is a professor at Tuskegee University up in, in Alabama, not too far from where he grew up in Auburn. And you know, he, his mom and dad moved over from Africa about thirty years ago, and kind of restarted their careers. And and uh, you know, he's got some good influences on him, and uh, obviously has a, a worldly view uh, for a kid who's just getting here. Uh, so that impressed me. Uh, just from a, you know, all these guys, you meet these guys for the first time and, you know, some of them, it's more about the football opportunity. A guy like Diabati, I just mentioned, he, he would, he prefer to talk a lot of other stuff about football. There's another guy, a linebacker, just say up here from uh, Mount Dora High, uh, he instantly impressed me physically, but also from the same standpoint of you just talking to him and you're, you know, you kind of forgetting this guy is only 18 mm-hmm. some of some of these kids do impress you when they first get on campus I know a lot of our audience uh, probably only cares what they're going to do on the football field <laughs> in the fall but I've always enjoyed the parts try to get to know these guys and learn what makes them tick and and you can just tell that Josiah is another guy who has interest uh, way beyond the field, but they also know what this opportunity means. I mean, you've got a scholarship at the University of Florida uh, on a team that is coming off a, a, a good season in the first year under a new coach, and they're you, both excited to be here, and they both talked about they want to you know, get back to where Florida has been traditionally, and, and they want to be a big part of that, and nobody wants them to be a bigger part of that than Dan Mo
1: So we'll keep monitoring for more football stories as well as those will, I'm sure, continue to come out moving toward the spring. Uh, I did want to talk quickly about gymnastics, though, Scott. I mean, they've continued to have an outstanding year so far, week after week, seemingly doing something else that they haven't done in a long time before. And now what's coming up next on the road at Oklahoma, which is significant because it's the number one and the number two teams in the country, so an early opportunity to probably determine who's going to be the the consider the front runner to go to the Super Six and, and win later this year.
3: Yeah, another opportunity along the road, Adam. I mean, Florida's already had a huge win away from the O Dome a couple of weeks ago when they won at LSU. Now here you're going to Norman to face another program that traditionally uh, right there in the uh, the final. Remember the Florida-Oklahoma and shared the national title back in 2014. Uh, the Skaters team, they have looked really impressive uh, early on. I mean, if you haven't seen Preston Trinity Thomas yet, check her out because she is really good for her only three meets in their career. Uh, and you know what? What stole the headlines the last week when they went at home against Kentucky this past week was they set a, they had an unbelievable uh, bar routine for scores of 9.95 or higher. They set the program record, uh, on the bars for a, a team score. They had the highest score in that event in the country this season. And now they go out to test themselves against the Sooners and someone they're very familiar with, probably the top gymnast in the country, uh, Maggie Nichols, uh, she's a, a elite gymnast right there with those names that Gators fans are familiar with, like Bridget Sloan and Keisha Hunter and Alex McMurtry, she's right there on their level. And you know it's going to be a tough place to go out there and win in a, in a judged event. But we saw it happen at LSU when a lot of people didn't think it would happen. So we'll see if the Gators can make it happen again.
1: Okay, let's wrap up now with our PAT, which this week is—it's uh, pretty simple. It is Super Bowl week. It's the Patriots. It's the Rams tons of storylines. I think the one that maybe is most interesting to me, at least, is the fact that Sean McVay is from Atlanta and gets to coach in his first Super Bowl as the youngest coach to do it and doing it in his hometown, which is, you know, you can't make this stuff up sometimes. Uh, but for you guys, I want to know what your favorite storyline is about this game. And then most importantly, who is going to win and why?
2: Patriots because. How's that?
1: I think a lot of people would probably say that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think maybe there's some kind of um, nostalgia to it, given that uh, New England's run of, of its dynasty, if you will, of, began against the Rams, the St. Louis Rams, in New Orleans, uh, following the, in January of, of, or February, whenever it was, 2002. Um, The Super Bowl after 9-11. Uh, they were two touchdown underdogs against Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk. And Isaac, Isaac Bruce, Bruce. Torrey yeah, Holt. Holt. Yeah, Torrey Holt, all those guys. Yeah, the, the greatest show on turf. Mm-hmm. I was at that game. The, they got out to a lead. The, the Rams came back to tie the game. And, of course, Adam Vinatieri kicked the field goal to win the game on the last play of the game. So uh, so maybe there's some kind of thing. I saw – I was reading on Twitter uh Thursday morning uh, or some, in some story about speculation that – if they win this one, then Brady and Belichick may retire together. Uh, and yet I also see Brady saying he wants to play till he's 45 or 55 or 65, whatever <laughs> he's saying. But uh, uh, I- I'd like to see the Rams win just for balance sake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, lo- I-, I used to ask about storylines. Um, you know, they have a- the youngest head coach in football. And his defensive coordinator is, is Wade Phillips. Who's <laughs> like a brontosaurus. Yeah. You know, uh, uh yeah, I, I think that's kind of cool. And these guys together, McVay has to match wits with Belichick. And here's this, uh, this old crusty, uh, outstanding defensive coordinator has to figure out, figure out a way to stop this, uh, stop this team. But, um, it just seems like it comes down to this every year and, uh, Patriots end up winning. Um, so, uh, I, I, I don't know why you go against them. And other than the fact that, Maybe if they do win and they close up shop finally, these two guys head off in the sunset. Maybe maybe it's worth them doing that finally. Uh, but uh, whatever the case, it's very difficult to pick against those two guys. It doesn't matter who they're playing with. I used to defend Joe Montana as the greatest quarterback in NFL history. I don't do it anymore because Joe Montana had Jerry Rice and <laughs> all those and Roger Craig and all those weapons around him. It doesn't matter who's playing receiver for Tom Brady, who's playing running back. He just wins football games. Yeah, you know, Chris mentioned Wade Phillips. Uh, he has my favorite
3: quote of Super Bowl week so far. Someone, you know, it's one of those conferences where someone was asking him, you know, how, in a serious tone, how Nikhil Roby Coleman has been dealing with the past interference controversy against the Saints and how he's handling it. And Wade Phillips just goes, I think he's going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got a chuckle out of that. Uh, but you know what? I'm like, Chris the argument for best quarterback in history has been over for a while. In my view, the argument for best coach in history has been over for a while. In my view. And that's why I think the Patriots, I think they're going to find a way. I think Tom Brady, they're still motivated from last year. I I forgot that he threw for 505 yards in last year's Super Bowl and actually lost. Wow. I don't know if he's going to throw that, uh, throw for that many yards, but I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think Tom Brady's going to have a lot of opportunity to make plays and, I like the Rams, and there's a part of me that I think it'd be fun to see him win. But you know what? I I love the fact that Tom Brady is still able to do what he's doing. So if he can play to 45 and still make a few more Super Bowls, why not? He's already done a lot of stuff we've never seen before. Uh, so, he, he, you know, anything he does from here on out is just proof of his greatness and uh, I was looking at ESPN just to see how they had seventy two of their analysts, experts uh pick the game. Sixty two percent are going with the the Patriots, hmm. the Rams getting about thirty seven percent of the votes. So, you know, most people are on the Patriots side. I mean, can the Rams win? Certainly I think for them to win, uh I think they need some Pod Gurley, uh although they didn't need him much in the championship game. I think he's he's gonna play a, a important role if they do win. Uh, I just think Brady, whatever they do, they'll find a way they adjust. I mean, it's, the Rams' pass rush is pretty impressive. With the, and One of those guys is a former Gator Dante Fowler uh, who made a big play in the NFC Championship game. So, uh, they're going to probably get some, their chances. And if you look at the Patriots when they have lost Super Bowls, a deciding factor is, you know, usually Brady doesn't have as much time as he wants to work with. Uh, I just feel that with a couple weeks to prepare, they'll, they'll find a way to slow those Rams down. and I'm going with the Patriots, guys. I'm looking at a 40-34 to 34 game.
1: Wow. Very high scoring. Um, just to put a bow on it, it's fascinating to me that, Chris, you talked about when these teams met back in 2002, and it was the complete opposite where the Patriots were – America's team, so to speak. And they were the underdog. Everyone was rooting for the Patriots. And now they are the, the monster that everybody wants to take down. So fascinating that that's completely flipped in terms of the, the storyline of who David is, who Goliath is. And also I can tell you for the whole of Atlanta, uh, there would be no greater insult than having the Patriots win another Super Bowl in Atlanta. So I know that everyone I know is rooting for the Rams. Hopefully that comes to fruition, but I don't uh,
2: know if you noticed or out, but they were like, down by like 25 points I, or something against I did, the yeah. a couple years
1: ago. I, I did know that. Was, I mean, thank was, thank was, you for reminding an, me.
2: It was, it was an unbelievable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for that for that reminder. Uh, I'll just use this opportunity to remind everybody that in addition to the Super Bowl, Florida Kentucky is Saturday as well. It's at four o'clock. It's on ESPN. Chris will be there covering every aspect of it. Follow him at Gators Chris and at FloridaGators.com. And Scott, I don't know what Scott's doing. Scott, what are you covering this week?
3: No, you know, Adam, a lot of my focus is still, uh, doing some of these, uh, pieces on the, uh, the new early enrollees. And guess what? The second signing day is February the 6th. So it's coming up. That's right. I uh, get to go add a few more players, got that going on and you know, go out and watch Kentucky, see what happens there. And, uh, there's a lot going on. Softball's coming up, baseball's coming up. So there's always something to keep us busy.
1: Yeah. No question. We'll hear from Tim Walton on next week's show as well to get ready for the start of softball. So tune in next week. But for now, thank you guys so much as always. And we look forward to talking to you on the other side.
2: Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam.
1: With his long, lanky frame and smooth moves, it shouldn't be a surprise that DeAndre Boward has been a natural athlete his whole life. Now in his sophomore year, Boward makes an impact every time he gets on the floor and plays with relentless energy. We spoke to the man they call Ticket, you'll find out why shortly, and began by asking him to dig deep into his southern roots.
4: Uh, I grew up in Douglasville, Luther Springs, uh, not too far from Atlanta. i say it's around like 15, 10 15 minutes away. Both of my parents still live with me. Um, I have a, a younger sister. She's 16. Um, pretty much I live there all my life. Same house, same neighborhood. Uh, I met great friends there, um, cousins and stuff. And, plus, just, just the sightseeing when you go to the city is beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Now,
1: talking about your athletic background, I know that basketball was not your first love. So, can you tell us about your background in football and baseball and how you got into those sports when you were younger?
4: Uh, first sport I ever played was football. That was like around three or four. Uh, my mom was like, are oh, you running around the house too much? I need to put you in sports. You got too much energy. <laughs> so, then, yeah, that's when I had got into um, football. My dad played baseball, so pretty much I wanted football more because of, like, the aggressiveness and stuff like that. It was more fun and more action. But then that's when I realized, like, I was really good at baseball. Mm-hmm. My dad would tell me stuff like, man, you're really good. You get your first home run when you're, like, six years old. I never done that. So I was like, man, I probably, I probably have a chance. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much like back and forth, baseball and basketball, until I got to, like, the, uh, the fifth grade. That's when I decided basketball pretty much, I just took off on basketball.
1: What what positions did you play in, in football and in baseball?
4: Football, I was quarterback, wide receiver, um, the tight end. <laughs> a
1: little bit of everything.
4: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything. And baseball, I was pitcher, shortstop, and I think left outfielder.
1: Sounds like you covered pretty much everything over the course of those two sports. And you had a lot of options. So uh, what yeah. made you want to switch to basketball? Where did that idea come from?
4: Well, really, just watching basketball when I was young, and then that's when, you now my cousin, uh, dad became a coach, mm-hmm. and that's when, that's when I had signed up, and I was like, yeah, I'll play. Yeah, it was record ball, so then it was like for fun and stuff, and so I was playing it for fun. That's when my dad was like, man, you could be like Kevin Garnett. You long. He was like, you slim, and that's when everybody started calling me nickname Kevin
3: Garnett.
4: <laughs> so then I was like, hmm, okay, I'm pretty good at basketball, and as I kept playing, and then that's when. In ranked ball, I got my first 20 points. Hmm. So when I scored my first 20 points, that's when my cousins like, man, this might be your takeoff. Ever since then, I've been scoring 20 points or more. Ever since that one game. Wow. And that's when I was like, yeah, I think basketball's for me.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. I- I've heard a story that you've told where, the f- was it the first time you played, you scored like 33 points or something?
4: What- what's that story? Oh, uh, yeah, my middle school game. Uh, I was nervous. And I was like, man, first game, the training—I don't know what to expect. And that's when I just went out and like everything just went my way. I don't even think I missed a shot. Like <laughs> everything was just falling in line. It was like, man, I was like I'm pretty good at this because mm-hmm. I said no to football, baseball. I was like, I'm not sure. I really love basketball, so I just stuck with that, and focused on that. Mm-hmm. And i was like, I'm glad I did.
1: When you went on to high school, you were at Southwest Atlanta Christian. Uh, which people probably heard of because that's where Dwight Howard went. That's also where Javaris Crittenden went. Did you get to have any interaction with those guys as a result of that connection? Did they come back around at all and, and influence you?
4: Uh, yeah. Dwight Howard, um, he came around a couple of times. And not that his brother, Jahazi Howard, was a big influence in my life and my teammate as well. He came with us, he practiced, he got practice, um, he, he played open gym with us, and he just like, spoke positive things about us and stuff like that and was like a mentor to us. And that dad, um, Dwight Howard, dad as well, was an athletic director. Hmm. Now, And I was real close with him. My family real close with his family. Mm-hmm. So so we were, re- we were really close.
1: I know at some point in high school you also got your nickname. Uh, and I, I don't want to give it away. Uh, so can you tell us where your nickname came from and, and why it stuck?
4: Uh, my nickname came from my best friend, dad. That's when I first started playing AAU. He gave me that name when I started training with him and getting better. He was like, he was like, man, I'm gonna name you Ticket, man. He was like one day, he was like one day you gonna sell tickets, man. He's like, he's like, I can see it. And then that's how I came upon that name. And ever since then, like AAU, they just called me Ticket. And then that's when somebody was like, you know, DRJ Ballot? I was like, who? <laughs> and then that's that's when they like point out my hairstyle. I was like, oh yeah, that's Ticket. So people really didn't know my real name. They just be by Ticket.
1: Right. Yeah. So when you come into college, you got a name like that. I mean, that that's there's a lot of expectations probably go with that. Did did your college teammates also pick up on that? Or are they like, man, you got to earn that nickname before you start calling you Ticket?
4: Uh, I mean, pretty much they've seen it because I proved it. I'm the type of person that proves like, my title and stuff. But if I'm the Ticket, I'm going to show you why I'm the Ticket.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how I am. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so when recruiting picked up for you, what schools were you most interested in back then and why did Florida stand out to you?
4: I had Florida State come to the gym, I had Alabama, I had Texas a and pretty much Florida stuck out because the coach assistant Coach Mincy um with the relationship. Like he was real close and he was telling me things that that when I get there, the things he can help me with and stuff like that.
1: When you got on campus last year, I'm curious what you remember about that in terms of the biggest adjustments you had to make both on and off the court.
4: The biggest adjustments off the court was basically just time management. Mm-hmm. Basically where like you're on your own, your family's not here, your friends, your cousins, you're just on by yourself. You have to just find a way, to make a way, and say, you know what, I'm going to become a man. I just got to stick this through. And On the court, similar to the same thing. You got different roles, whoever coach believes you want you to do, whether that's score, or rebound, or use athleticism, you have to use your strengths to your best ability to where you can um, produce mm-hmm. pretty much.
1: I remember hearing the summer of your freshman year, you were getting into the gym at four o'clock in the morning every day. Where does that drive come from? And are you still waking up that early now as a sophomore?
4: Not not really. <laughs> I get I get into the gym mostly like at nighttime. time. Okay. Yeah, most at night, but, um, first that pretty much just came from, that's just how I am as a person. Like, even, even today, like, like, if we have a game, I would come right after the game and work out. Mm. That's just how I am. Let's say, even if I had a good shooting night or a bad, either, either way, depends on how I feel, how the ball left my hands. I would come to the gym and I would just shoot, mm. just work on moves. It just depends. That's just how I am as a person. I just have that natural drive.
1: Mm hmm. So, are you ever satisfied? I mean, what satisfies you to where you feel like, okay, I, I've done enough work for today where I, I don't have to come back
4: in? Pretty much. I had to, like, fight myself to leave the gym. Hmm. Yeah, it was it, really no, like, oh, I think I did enough today. Because, like, it just depends. I'll just listen to my body. It's not how I push. I push past that. If I wanted to, like, make 10 shots in a row at five spots, let's say the last spot, on the last spot, I was there for like two hours just trying to make 10 in, the, ten in a row. Eventually, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to have to come back tomorrow. But I've been in that spot for two hours. Normally, right. people would just leave. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's just how I am.
1: You're, you're definitely wired a different way, but I'm, I'm sure the coaches appreciate that about you. Um, looking at your teammates, which upperclassman do you feel like has had the biggest impact on you since you got to campus and, and why?
4: Well, pretty much everyone would say there's one person. His name is Jay Hood. Uh, Jay Hood, he's a great person. He's he's very humble. And he just looks out for everyone. He knows, like, the freshman mind is. He knows because he's been there. So he knows how it is. And basically, he just, like, motivates you and lets you know how things are going to be. And basically, like, just be patient, stuff like that.
1: Well, and he's had a tough year on the court. So I'm curious, given that back, how have you been able to help him since he helped you last year?
4: It's a reciprocal relationship. So things he's telling me, you know, I tell him as well. i just keep staying at it. Just keep staying at it. You're gonna get out the slump. Just stuff like that. Like, don't worry about it. Like, have faith.
1: Coming into this season, in what areas do you feel like you grew the most from your freshman year?
4: I grew the most mentally, that and spiritually. I'll say those two things because I had I had it physically. I just had to connect the two together. The other two, and I believe that's where I I came upon my best. Where I just had to train my mind as well as I train my body and my spirit as well
1: and what I mean what does that mean for you how did you how did you do that?
4: It just came from a point where like just like reading different books and um i like I'm a religious person so prayer was one of the reasons and it just came upon my attention And that's when I was like, man I need to connect my mind and my spirit with my body as well so I can reach my full potential
1: in addition, I know you have some very interesting interests off the court. So, first, I want to talk about chess, because I know you are an accomplished chess player. How did you get into playing chess?
4: Ah, uh, chess. My dad taught me chess when I was, like, six years old. And I used to always play him, and he's, like, always beat me. And I just wondered, like, how
0: did he keep beating me?
4: <laughs> I like, used to hit me with all the moves. I never knew, like, how he beat me. That's when the that, um, years went by, and I went to um, Southwestern Christian Academy, and then a couple of classmates that came in, which was a blessing. He knew how to play chess, and so he asked, like, like "Hey, do you know how to play chess?" And he was, like, we was just boring. I was like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> and then that's when like we just started playing, and that's when he was like reteaching me the rules because I knew, but I forgot like what certain um things did. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I just started studying chess, and that's when I was like, "Man, I'm pretty good at this." Mm-hmm. And then that's when I, I started playing my dad, and I started beating my dad, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It was like the student and the teacher type thing. Right. That's when he like, okay, he stepped up his game and he would beat me. So basically <laughs> we we'll go, would we'll go back and forth.
1: Right. How much are you able to play these days? Do you have any teammates that can play with you?
4: I had a manager last year, but fortunately he left, so really not. Nah, I just play online. I play different players across the world.
1: Have you ever played in a tournament of any kind, like a real tournament or just online stuff?
4: Just online. I always wanted to play in a tournament, but I never had enough time mm-hmm. due to sports and stuff. That's right. You know, chess
1: is such a, a cerebral game. in what ways do you feel like your knowledge and mastery of chess helps you on the basketball court?
4: Well basically, basketball I know from a defensive point, you're like a bishop and I know like high, like high school and stuff like that the coaching method is like you always diagonal from the ball when you defend it, you're always diagonal mm-hmm. so that's like a that's like a good way of like how I look at chess and that basically says you have to think ahead mm-hmm. you know and certain pieces on the chessboard are like certain people in life that creates the kingdom but like Bishop does this that night does that so it's like you need different people in your lives in order to to be the person you wanted to be
1: that's really that's a very cool way of looking at it i like that uh yeah you've also said before that you really enjoy following the stock market where did that interest come from that's also something you don't hear very often
4: yeah, that came from my my classmates, my my friends at soccer. Like we should just just think of ways to think different from people. That's just how we were. How to be our own our own CEO, mm-hmm. and we just study like the market, the forex, and stuff like that. Do you think about getting
1: into that as a career, or is that just a hobby for you on the side?
4: I thought about getting into a career, but right now it's like as a hobby. I like do to sports and stuff, so it's like that stuff takes a lot of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have any other unique interests or hidden talents that we haven't talked about because those are two pretty cool ones but is there anything else that that's on your radar
4: uh, I can draw that's one thing I keep hitting
1: you don't tell anybody about that except for today
4: uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you like to draw
4: uh pretty much anything like I can look at something and I just like draw exactly like what I'm looking at I, I really didn't like draw stuff from memory mm-hmm. but like just thinking about stuff. Yeah, I'm more of like, if I see something, I would draw it and add my own my own unique style to it.
1: Bringing things back to basketball, a couple final things for you. Uh, you were a freshman not too long ago, and now there are three freshmen that are all playing a lot of minutes for this team. What advice do you give them, or would you give them if they ask, having recently been in that same position?
4: I would tell them, learn as much as you can. Keep working hard. It's going to pay off. That's most definitely like that's going to pay off. Uh, Just learn as much as you can and just enjoy enjoy the moment because you'll never relive as a freshman again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now it's it's been kind of an up and down year for the team overall. I'm curious as you look toward the future, you got about six weeks left in the season here. What do you think is the most important thing for this team to really try and reach that potential you want to get to?
4: Pretty much, it's just us realizing ourselves and putting ourselves together so that each of our individual talents or or mindset will come together and make all of us together better, that we all put in something in order to get something. So pretty much if we all just say, hey, man, let's do this. You know, we all we got, we all we have, and that's pretty much what it is.
1: All right, final thing for you, DeAndre. This weekend is the Super Bowl in both of our hometowns, Atlanta. Who do you got in the Super Bowl and why?
4: I pretty much don't watch football. I <laughs> don't know what's going on.
1: As much as you used to like football? You don't even watch football?
4: Not no much. I just, I'm more basketball and I'm a, I'm a movie guy. I watch a lot of movies, so I haven't really updated on football.
1: What movies you have been watching instead of watching football?
4: It's a lot of movies. Uh, just whatever's on Netflix. I watch Netflix, Hulu, different TV shows, just stuff like that.
1: What's the last good movie that you remember
4: seeing? The last thing I saw good was um ah, it's a movie where put the blindfold on bird I box bird, bird box. box yeah
1: so you' you're you're in favor of bird box,
4: yeah, I really like bird box.
1: Have you tried playing basketball with the the blindfold on, or is that not gonna work for you
4: i mean we did we did like a little um a little project with that working <laughs> on blind faith before the movie came out <laughs> it, it, it was kind of hard. you had to dribble, shoot free throws, make layups, you had to trust a person that was speaking, so I yeah, it's pretty tough.
1: I like that. See, you, were, you were ahead of the curve. You were doing the bird box challenge before anybody else was doing it.
4: Yeah. I
1: like that. Okay. Well, we'll let you go on that and we won't make you pick the Super Bowl. But DeAndre, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. All right. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Florida and Kentucky clash for the first of two meetings on Saturday at four on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the Odom.